Hello, and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick. The world is increasingly technological, so we have better get methodical. Bringing precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of a modern monocle. Stopping the copyright bullies from pulling the wall on us. Facing and taking on all the plate to pay to troll. Document the ways that they aim to take control. Scrutinizing through their lies and make them fall. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get uh, the pandemic has been sort of an interesting time to look at all of the interesting and different ways that technology has impacted our lives and actually how technology can in many ways be super useful for solving some big problems uh, in and around society. Of course, the other aspect of the pandemic is also recognizing uh, very much the role of government in our lives. And for many of us who have been concerned about government overreach at times. It's also nice to see a few examples where the government is actually doing things well uh, and even utilizing technology well. Uh, <laughs> Rick Clow uh, be recently became California's chief technology innovation officer. He was appointed to that role in February of this year uh, after a long stint at various aspects of Google and associated companies. Uh, and I should note that uh, Rick and I go way back uh, to the time when we were were both just lowly random tech bloggers uh, back in the early days when blogs were everywhere. Uh, and Rick has obviously moved up in the world while I remain firmly uh, as a lowly tech blogger. So uh, what caught my eye recently was how California had rolled out a brand new digital COVID record, uh, which is a project that Rick helped to spearhead in his new role. And so I wanted to have him come on to the podcast today to talk about this process, the digital COVID record, what it is, uh, and also about ways in which government can better embrace technology and innovation for uh, lots of good reasons. So Rick, welcome to the podcast. Mike, it's so good to see you and be a, a participant. Yeah, it's an embarrassingly long time ago that we first <laughs> sat down and had dinner together. It's, uh, it's great to catch up. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 good, even if it's it's virtual, uh, because there is still uh, there is still a pandemic out there. <laughs> um, so let's let's talk about this digital COVID record and and just to start, I mean, what is it and and why is it so important? First and foremost, I think the simplest explanation is it's just a digital copy of your vaccination record. So if you were like me when you got your vaccine, uh, the first dose, you might have been a little appalled that in the year 2021, the, the only artifact that we had as we walked out the door was a piece of paper right. that seemed like something that would be relatively easy to fabricate if I was so inclined. And I'm also quite confident that though I have lost most habits in pandemic world, um, losing things that I need to hold <laughs> on to is is something I'm probably going to remain pretty good at. So the idea that we could give residents of California a way of having confidence that at a minimum they could always get a digital copy if they did lose it or run it through the laundry, um, that seemed like a, a, a noble goal. And I don't want to minimize that there is some technology involved and it is a little more than just a copy of your vaccination record. We could have put some words on a web page and left it at that. But there is also a QR code included, which is an implementation of an open source standard called the Smart Health Cards 
uh, framework. And what that is, is both an encoding of the vaccine record itself, so it includes my name and date of birth and dates of my vaccination events, but it's also signed by the state of California, which makes it cryptographically verifiable hmm. that it is in fact issued by the state of California, which validates both the authenticity of that record and the accuracy of the contents within. So in in many ways, it's it's a way of proving that it's it's a legitimate that that you have legitimately been vaccinated, rather than something that is easy to forge, like like the paper card. That's right. You, you there's no way to easily look at a piece of paper and the ink on it if mm -hmm. the nurse or a doctor who was administering the doses wrote it down uh, or put in one of my doses a sticker. There's no way to know that that actually happened. There's a bit of trust embedded in the process. In our case, because every vaccine dose that was administered in the state of California is required by law to be registered in the California Immunization Registry, and we're not unique there, that's like every other state. The benefit of this is that when we are digitally signing that the contents of that QR code, Anyone scanning that QR code with a smart health card compliant reader can verify the authenticity of that signature so they know that it is, in fact, a record out of the California Immunization Registry. In other words, it, it is an event that happened that the state of California is standing behind. Right. And um, so who's, who's using this record now? I mean, I can see different ways that it could be used, but who's actually using it right now? Yeah, well, there's a couple of answers to that. As With any good ecosystem, you've got a couple of players. There's sure. issuers of smart health cards, holders, who are the residents in most cases, who are the ones retrieving, and then there's verifiers. So mm -hmm. think businesses, bars, restaurants, et cetera. On the issuer side, uh, when we launched in mid-June, we joined the state of Louisiana as one of only two states who had implemented the hmm. smart health card uh, framework. Uh, so on the state side, we were a small but mighty group at launch. Um, this week, the state of New York announced that they are supporting with an upgrade to the Excelsior Pass, which had been their proprietary proof of vaccination for New York residents, an upgrade to that Excelsior Pass, which now supports smart health cards. So now you've got both the state of California, the state of New York joining the state of Louisiana in supporting this framework. Bunch of other states have indicated they intend to follow. But what's super interesting about the way this works is that it does not need to be issued by the state. We just happened to have the immunization registry. So we know the doses that happened. But the same can be true for the pharmacy or mm -hmm. the health system who administered the dose. They know that those events happened. So they too can issue a smart health card for their patients. So Walmart, the week after we launched, uh, shipped to all of their Walmart pharmacy and Sam's Club pharmacy customers the ability to get a smart health card hmm. for their vaccination event. CVS is supporting it as well. And then the two largest electronic health records companies, Epic and Cerner, who of course have hundreds of doctor's offices and health systems, also support smart health cards. So. If you're a Sutter Health Palo Alto Medical Foundation patient and you got your doses at Sutter Health, they use Epic 
Epic recently turned on this feature for their customers. So now every Epic user has the ability to get a smart health card that is the same formatted QR code, but instead of saying this exists in the California registry, it's saying we did this to this huh. patient. So it's it's an, a very interesting decentralized notion of yeah. how can we assert a fact that the patient wants to be able to share. Right. So, so that's the issuer side of the equation on the on the on the holder, right? You got vaccinated, you want to tell others that you've you've been vaccinated, you get to have your digital copy, whether you screenshot it, Apple Health on iOS 15 will allow you to store these in uh, Apple Health directly. Hmm. Google Pay recently shipped the support in Google Pay to store your uh, smart health card in Google Pay directly. Um, and a couple of other applications we can talk more about give individuals the ability to decide, like maybe I just want a copy right. of the record. I just want to know that it's there. So if I run my CDC card through the laundry, I'm not out of luck. But in many cases, now we go to the verifier side. What we've seen over the last several weeks is this groundswell amongst bars and restaurants, comedy clubs throughout California, who now that they know that California residents have an easy way of proving their vaccination status, are saying, this is the only way we can stay open and stay safe. Right. So what has been thrilling, candidly, uh, to see over the last couple of weeks are the number of posters going up on the windows of bars. Um, I've got friends who are texting me eight and a half by 11 sheets that are <laughs> you know, bolted to the wall that is a pointer to the CDPH website where you can download your digital vaccine record. And, and then they're using an open source scanner app which gives them the ability to both read the contents of the QR code and validate that signature, in, in our case, by us or by the pharmacy or the health system. So it's it's been a really incredible evolution in a very compressed period of time. We only launched six, seven weeks ago to see this increasing demand and support for something that this was a little bit of build it and hope they will come. Uh, because of course we weren't mandating that anyone had to use this. This was entirely an opt-in offer. Right. And and so if you have, um, so say that you, you got your vaccine from uh, CVS or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so in that case, you could look up the, you could get your, your digital record from either CVS or California. Is that so and and they they match they basically say this is the same this is the person and they have they definitely got their vaccine exactly right and and there's some other you know presumably will be of interest to some techter listeners <laughs> you know thinking about the the system architecture here a couple of things we wanted to make sure we solved for we didn't want this to require a real time lookup mm -hmm. against a database right that would be bad for reasons yes. I probably don't have to explain to you, <laughs> yes, but yes, we could yes. definitely go deeper. We wanted this to be something that was essentially an offline storable credential right. that could then be easily read and verified. Because of course, the worst possible scenario would be 40,000 people are going into a Giants game right? and suddenly we've got 40,000 queries in real time against the CDPH site. And if for some unknown reason that failed to respond, suddenly we've got a baseball game that has no no one indoors. Right. 
uh, in the stadium. So, so the the ability to make this transferable and storable meant that either, in your case, CVS can assert the the existence of these events, these vaccination events, or as at some level of an issuer of last resort, as the owners of the immunization registry, we can do the same. Right. Interesting. And technically, the QR code is a little bit different because, of course, CVS is saying, I am telling you these things happened. Right. And the state is saying, I am telling you, bar, restaurant, whomever, that we have been told these things happen. Right. Right. Yeah, no, that that makes sense. Do you have a, a sense of how many individuals have have made use of of their digital record? Sure, do. Um, it, it, so the good news is uh, today, in fact, we passed the two million mark for oh. digital vaccine records delivered to California residents. Um, an interesting quirk, though, of, again, of system design. We have no way of knowing how many individuals that represents. Right. right? We're trying to persist as little (laughs) PII as possible. Right. So what we're doing is when you request a DVR, if the information you provide us matches what's in our system, we will send you a link Mm -hmm. that allows you to retrieve that record. We don't store the fact that you, Mike, asked for it. We don't store the fact that you retrieved it. Or that even we delivered it. It just is, it's a, it's a set of data that we format in a QR code. That link expires after 24 hours. So we don't have all these links sitting out on the internet that could be retrieved. And in that way, I, I can't tell you with a hundred percent precision, all 2 million of those are 2 million unique Californians. Right. But I think it's plausible that we don't have people retrieving 10 of their own record a day. Right. It's not one person doing it 2 million times. <laughs> I, I would hope not for their sake. <laughs> well, I've done it. So there's, there, I'm sure there's a, at least two people. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so it, it's interesting. I mean, you mentioned New York uh, now adding this. And, and so they're, what they're doing and what Louisiana is doing and what you're doing, they all work together. It's all the same basic system. It's the same implementation, right? It's the same framework that we each, the code is on GitHub. We didn't have to ask anybody's approval. We didn't have to pay any license fees. And and who created the original code for that? The Vaccine Credential Initiative, Mm -hmm. vci.org, is a public-private coalition of the Mayo Clinic, um, MITRE, Mm -hmm. a nonprofit, works closely with governments, a number of software companies, um, we, the state of California, are now members, Got given it. that this is an implementation that we are uh, grateful for, that it exists. Um, but it, it was born of a recognized need at the beginning of the year that there might be a need to digitally present this information. Right. And, and in the absence of a federal mandate, in the absence of the folks in D.C., requiring everyone to do this one thing in this way. VCI simply offered this up as a, here's an open, secure, 
it's an implementation actually of the FHIR F H I R standard for fast health interoperable resources, which is a family of standards designed to pr- produce interoperable health data. And in this particular case, never has there been a higher, more pressing need for the ability to easily deliver to a, an individual a bit of health information that is incredibly valuable and important to them, but that can also be useful for avoiding future lockdowns or, right. or, or increased restrictions back to where, what we were living through in the last half of 2020. Right. Um, so I, I think I know the answer to this, but I, I want to ask because some of our listeners may, uh, you know, when, when it gets to, to things like showing uh, a vaccine record, you have some people who have concerns about ideas like vaccine passports and, and this idea of, of sort of government mandates and, and things of that nature. So do you want to just respond to those kinds of concerns so that, that people have a sense of, of how this plays in with that? As you would probably imagine, I would hope you and others who think deeply about these issues would, would I think, assume we would do. There was a lot of thought that went in before we launched. Mm-hmm. In addition to system design and technical functionality, even just how do we describe what it is that we've built? Right. And how do we communicate to the residents of California, the businesses of California? What does this mean? What is it good for? How do we think it should be used? And very consciously, whenever we described this, it was, this is something you can request and get if you want. If you don't want it, we're not, it, it, it doesn't exist. If, right. if it's not asked for, there is no barcode, you know, QR code sitting out in the cloud waiting for you to retrieve it. Um, and to that end, you know, it's, it's not a government mandate. It's not an identity document, right? The other component of a passport is that it is, it's designed to be, by definition, a, an identity proving document, right. which this is not. Um, if, if there were another Mike Masnick in the world who presented your QR code, that, that is not what this exists to do. Right. Right. When I present the QR code, presumably if I'm going into a bar or restaurant that wants to verify that I'm vaccinated, what we are able to do is we've got a QR code that says who got vaccinated. And then presumably if you're comparing that with a government issued ID, you can see that the name and the date of birth matches. Right. Um, But we were very careful not to try and stuff more than was needed into this particular document. There is no personal identifier number. There's no unique ID. There's no social security number. There is the minimum amount of information required for its intended purpose. Right. And I will also note that we actually had some fascinating legal restrictions (laughs) that the, the law establishing the California Immunization Registry expressly forbids the state sharing that information with third parties. Okay. So there is an ability, technically, 
to build an API that would simplify third-party accessing and checking of this information so that if you gave certain information to a concert mm -hmm. promoter, that they could programmatically query a database to say, tell me that everyone's been vaccinated. But out of from day one, we knew we couldn't do that. Right. So we could only look for a system, look to a system that could deliver to an individual data that they could choose to control and then decide when, where, and how they would share it, if at all. Right. So, so I want to get a little bit into the process of, of developing this. And, and, you know, you sort of said you, I mean, one, you really started full-time in, in February and that you knew that this was a, a, an issue that, that was important and was going to be needed. And then you rolled out something in, was it June uh, that, that you rolled it out? And, and for like government technology, that seems like a very quick response time, uh, knowing standard government technology projects. So can you talk a little bit to, to the process by which you, you know, got this, this actually rolled out? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to brag on my team here for a moment. <laughs> so let me take a step back. The role I was appointed to by Governor Newsom is the, I'm the chief technology innovation officer. But what that really means is I'm, I'm the director of what's known as the Office of Enterprise Technology. Okay. It's a team of 60 plus um, web developers, designers, UI, UX researchers, product managers, software engineers, uh, DevOps engineers. In other words, it sounds a lot like my former world. Right. When I was building products at Google, when I was working with and coaching startups at Google Ventures. So it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a crew I, I know. Like I've, I've lived this world before. Right. Um, and they historically have been tasked with building products, apps, services, data pipelines for departments and agencies across the state. Um, I, early in my time, somebody said, you know, if the governor's talking about something in a press conference, there's a very good chance that we got asked to work on whatever it is he's talking about. Right. And certainly in my first, you know, seven or eight months at this point, that's, that's been borne out. Um, so back to your question. In February, I'm appointed, I'm getting to know the team. In March, I had already been volunteering with this group for about a month and a half, working very closely with the Department of Public Health on the state vaccination rollout. And as we start talking about the, the June 15th target of reopening the state, I just started working through the scenarios of, you know, we're hopefully going to have vaccinated a majority of the state by that point. How, how's it going to work? <laughs> you know, you don't just flip a switch and suddenly everything's off and back to the way it was. Surely there's going to be some need or want, if or both, for there to be some way of verifying vaccination status. And and I didn't it didn't go much deeper or further than that, but I started asking around and ended up collaborating with a physician who was working in CDPH at the time, really and just exploring what's the landscape look like? What are other states doing? Is there going to be a national standard? Because if there is, then let's just get ready for it and make sure that we, we are 
prepared to launch whenever that ships. And we learned a couple of things. There was unlikely to be a federal mandate. And there wasn't a lot of breadcrumbs from other states that we could follow. New York had announced, I think, that they were going the, the way of the Excelsior Pass, which was a, a system developed by IBM. But that was about it. And I got to know the VCI folks and pretty quickly determined, you know, this checks a lot of boxes for us. It's an elegant design. It, it, it asserts the information I would think we would want individuals to be able to assert. And, and equally importantly, given what I knew about the immunization registry and the systems that we have access to inside the state, like I could see a path to how we could build that. Right. That, it, that at least in my head, and this is the worst, worst habits of, of any PM to just assume <laughs> that your engineers can easily build a thing if you can yes. conjure it in your head. But, but I was pretty sure that I understood enough of the moving parts that, that the technology would, would not be the, the obstacle. So we, we, we worked through April, really evaluating what our options might be. My team didn't start writing code until May 1st. Hmm. And we shipped to the public on June 18th. And we shipped our millionth digital vaccine record less than two weeks later. Wow. So when you talk about, you know, it's, it, it seems like it's fast. It's, it's faster even than what you were describing. This is as extraordinary a pace of execution um, on what could have been uh, something less than entirely successful. <laughs> Maybe that's diplomatic enough. Um, you know, you're, you're talking about something that's highly visible. Right. Um, where if it's implemented poorly or you, you don't get the identity checking system just right, mm-hmm. um, it, this, this could have been a very visible failure. Um, it's not without room for improvement, and we can talk about that if that's of interest, but to be where we're at now, not even two months uh, into launch, feels like the team knocked it out of the park. And, and I also think it's a, it's a great example of if you can very narrowly scope what is the thing you're trying to do. Um, we got lucky that there was already an open source standard that had been defined. Mm-hmm. So we could kick the tires a little bit, but it, there was also already a community of developers sort of waiting for somebody like us to show up and start asking questions. Right. So when we started working on prototypes, the fact that there was a a group out in the ether who could help with validation, help answer some early questions about, you know, tell us about the character limit, tell us about the JSON bundle, tell us about the 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 digital signature, like what do we need to do? How do we need to do it? Um, there were we had a lot going for us, but the other thing that I think it's it's worth pointing out, we also got lucky, very lucky, because look, Walmart could have chosen a different proprietary right. standard. Epic and Cerner might have said, eh, we don't really need to worry about interoperability. We've got our own issues to worry about. Um, Louisiana might not have shipped 
so that there was safety in numbers even as we launched, that mm -hmm. we weren't the only ones. Um, or more recently, New York might have said, look, we, we, we picked our, our right. path. We're going to stay on that path. And, and so that's, that's how it's going to be for New York. The fact that all of these paths are converging on what is not yet what I would consider a national standard, but I think it's, it's heading in a direction where organically certainly feels like a lot of the pieces are in place is pretty extraordinary. And, and um, did you have conversations with the, with those folks, with, with the, you know, with the Walmarts of the world? Were, were you telling them what you were doing and, and urging them along or, or, or was that done totally independently? Totally independently. And huh. I wish I could claim credit for, <laughs> you know, there, there was some orchestration happening in the background. Um, there may have been coordinated conversations with everyone but me. I mean, <laughs> I, it wouldn't wouldn't be the first time. Right. Um, but I, you know, I think it's it's a great example of yeah. There was a group who worked on the standard. There were then a number of us who had very similar needs and wants in terms of how do we equip our patients or our residents with information and. I, you know, in the spirit of never wasting a crisis, um, <laughs> out of this pandemic has emerged this wonderfully functional format for conveying information to residents. And I, I should note, it's COVID specific today, but there's nothing in the spec right. that makes it a COVID thing. It's, it, it's, it's verifiable clinical information. It can be any vaccine. Right. And, and the entire immunization registry is available to this system if and when we choose to enable that. So whether it's yellow fever, if you're traveling to Africa, if it's your kids who you need their immunizations to register them for summer camp or school, like there are a lot of other potential benefits right. that come out of this foundation. Um, which I think speaks to why it was of interest to others, but certainly one of the many reasons it, it felt like the right uh, the right horse for us to pick. Right, and that that leads into the obvious next question you'd mentioned earlier. Sort of other, you know, this is not the final product. Um, mm. What are there other things that you can talk about in terms of what other ideas, improvements, other things are, are being worked on to to add to this? Well, this has been pretty all-consuming, as you might imagine. <laughs> yes. um, but I'll I'll talk about one of the things that we I think we assumed to be true, but couldn't know before launch. Right, the state of California had never shipped a resident-facing tool for accessing their own data like this, mm -hmm. and. One of the clear challenges we faced as we were getting ready for launch is that will not come as any surprise to you. The data quality was not great. Mm -hmm. as, and, and partly or perhaps mostly because it's a repository of information given to the state by hundreds, thousands actually, of discrete contributors. And with very little validation, if any, happening, and, and to their credit, 
Their focus was on getting shots in arms, not sure. ensuring that every phone number was correctly formatted or even that every name was correctly spelled. Prior to launch, we knew it was an issue, but it also, like, to, you probably didn't know this was a concern, right? right. Even the, the healthcare providers were, were, they had other issues yeah. to worry about. But one of the enormous benefits of getting this thing out into the public is, fortunately, it worked for most of the people who wanted to get access to this new thing that we announced. But by showing folks that it wasn't pristine, there was suddenly a very high interest among all parties in making it better really quickly. Right. So you suddenly found a whole provider community of pharmacies and health systems who were starting to hear from their patients, why doesn't the state have my second dose? Or why can't I get my record? And what ended up happening in a matter of days to weeks is this incredible remediation of data where the data quality has improved dramatically. Interesting. In a very, you know, back to your point about short period of time, we only launched this thing not even seven weeks ago to have updated records for, at this point, six, seven, maybe even eight million Californians, which results in improving our ability to match on the data that's given to us, is incredible. Yeah. And lays a foundation that anytime you clean up the data, you're making the, the product offering better. So that if you do start turning on additional vaccination records, et cetera, well, the same data quality improvements that went into improving the match rate over time, well, that's your, that, that will accrue to all future uses of the system. So it, for me, that was exciting to see because you think about alignment of interests. Well, the residents want their data. They want their vaccine record. Uh, the providers don't want their patients thinking of them as the reason they can't get the thing that they want. And the state just would love to have as accurate and complete a picture of this whole system, um, which we're in a dramatically better place. Just ahead of starting here, I was running some numbers. Again, we don't persist queries. We don't have any way of attributing them to individuals. So I don't know, couldn't tell you for, for you know, a thousand given Californians, how many of them get a digital vaccine record when they ask for it? We know what the query match rate is, but one person can ex execute three queries if they're right. trying a cell phone number and a work and a home email address. But based on some back of the envelope math, looking at unique IPs and looking at total volume of queries, et cetera, looks to be right now between about 85 and 90 percent hmm. of of anyone asking for a DVR is is going to get one. Now, hmm. I want that to be 100. Right. And and we've made huge strides in just a few weeks. Um, but I think, you know, over the next few weeks to months, that's going to continue to be a, a real area of focus. To, to, to shift gears a little bit, I think... Um, I think people listening can can hear some of your approach to these kinds of things, but I did want to talk a little bit more in general about 
um, government's approaches to, to innovation and, and how to use technology wisely. And, you know, for years on TechDirt, you know, we had a, a theme where we were highlighting, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars being wasted. My, my favorite one was the, uh, and I should look this up because I don't remember the exact details, but there was a, a system that IBM was contracted to build for the FBI to track down terrorists. And it was the original budget was like 150 million. And when it came in, finally, it was like $650 million. And there was a story about how when they turned it on, it was completely useless for tracking terrorists, which was it's like one main purpose. And apparently it messed stuff up so bad that it made people in the FBI cry. Like there were reports of, of literally FBI agents crying uh, trying to make use of this system. So like the sense that a lot of people have about governments and their use of technology is that it, you know, goes over cost, that it's, you know, these sort of boondoggles that get farmed out to these big contracting companies that that charge ridiculous amounts. It takes, you know, three times as long as, as they said it was going to take, and then it works terribly. And lots of us have experience with government computer systems that where you see that kind of mess. I think people will have heard by now that you have a slightly different approach or, or, or thought process on these things. But do you want to talk a little bit kind of like what do you see as the way that the government should embrace technology and innovation? Sure. And I, it's funny. I knew before you even <laughs> finished the anecdote, I'm like, he's going to talk about the FBI one because I remember <laughs> for years reading the rants about, about yes. that one system. Um, first, a caveat. I've I've been here for seven eight months, right? And I haven't I, I don't have anywhere near a full view of what the lay of the land is or what the landscape is. Um, I do know there are a couple of constraints that are very real, which is when you rip and replace a system mm -hmm. as a private actor, you get to decide which of your customers you're firing, right? Because it's expensive to support them. Right. And and so that's just a cost of doing business. And if you make some people angry, so be it. Government doesn't work that way. Right. And and we have to meet our residents where they are. And so you have these legacy commitments to supporting processes and systems that are often labyrinthine, not because they weren't well designed, but because the organic evolution of the thing took on a life of its own over time. Now that doesn't defend a thing that was poorly designed or over budget or what have you. I'll also tell you, you know, I have the unbelievable privilege and luxury of being responsible for the team who's supposed to be nimble and quick <laughs> and build and ship a bunch of stuff and then hand it off for others to own going forward. So, you know, the digital vaccine record is a in, in my humble opinion, a fantastic example of exactly what my team is supposed to be doing sort of all day, every day. Right. But it's worth noting that, you know, you talk about companies that are contracting to states or the federal government. Um, I have, and I, and I use the word privilege very intentionally, the privilege of some of these projects that I've worked on in these last seven, eight months, specifically around COVID, simply could not have worked or succeeded without contributions from folks at Deloitte, folks at Accenture. Um, it was 
staggering to me as I ramped up in January on the vaccination work as a volunteer, putting in 15, 16 hour days, didn't get a day off for five straight weeks, that the people in the bunker with me on Teams or Zoom or whatever were people from those companies and folks from McKinsey. I mean, there were a bunch of different folks all trying to sort of swarm on solutions. And the flex and scale that that allowed the state to operate at was breathtaking. I, I watched decisions get made in a matter of minutes hmm. that even in my best days at Google would have at least been a few days. Huh. So I, now I realize that the compression and chaos of COVID Right. Is not necessarily a representative sampling from which we can glean this is how government always works. But at least through my limited vantage point, I, no one ever yelled at me for starting small and iterating <laughs> and seeing what would happen. Right. Like instead, they were like, by all means, like, give it a shot. Um, were there some folks who were nervous, worried about data quality issues in the immunization registry? Yeah. And then we all looked each other in the eye and said, but it's still the right thing to do. It is still better than nothing. Right. And we have an opportunity if it goes well. And again, it was a bit of a gamble. But if it goes well, boy, the state's going to be in a better place and the residents will have something that they wouldn't have otherwise had. So, yeah, my approach here, I, I mean, it, it probably sounds familiar to a bunch of folks in the private sector because, of course, that's who I am. I was 25 years at startups and then, and then at Google. But I'm not encountering rejection or resistance. Um, is there a well-worn path of how things have been done? Yeah. And in my experience so far, often rightly so. Right. That, you know, that you, you don't just get to park all the data in this place. Well, you got to remember, like, you know, if that's in a data lake that accidentally had some ports open and some default APIs turned on, you just exposed right, right. a whole bunch of data to the public. And it's one thing if your clubhouse and all the phone numbers get exposed. It's another thing if you're the state of California and something similar happens. So, I, you know, I'm certainly... It, at the eight-month mark, have I seen some examples where, yeah, if I could design that on a whiteboard, I might do that differently? <laughs> sure. And some of those have actually turned into great conversations with departments and agencies where it's like, you know, if you're willing, I got a team. Like, right. our whole point is that we're supposed to be the group that drops in, fixes a thing, ships a thing, what have you, and then hopefully leaves you better than we found it. So... I'm, I, maybe this is just me being overly optimistic, but it's sort of my default position to say, like, there's a lot that's possible. Um, and, and, and not a lot of examples of people, like, trying to obstruct it. Right. And there's just a ton of work, and it's a question of prioritizing. Yeah. But I think, I mean, I think it's good to see, and, and I know this is, this is happening at all different levels of government and, and, you know, across the world, I think more and more governments are recognizing the nature of that there are times where being able to start small and start simple and iterate 
is a better process than the the more traditional ones, which were, you know, spec out every last inch of this and mm-hmm. we are going to build it and then we're going to turn it on <laughs> and like and and we're not going to we're not expecting to iterate so we have to we have to spec out everything and and because of that we can't predict how it's actually going to be used and what sorts of things will need to be changed um which is you know not not the way technology normally develops um well, exactly right. And, you know, I've taken some old habits and I've repurposed them here. So I'm talking to a lot of folks on Twitter right now, like asking for feedback. Right. And and not all of them are rosy and positive. <laughs> um, but there have been some wonderful comments that have been shared either publicly or in DMs, which I'm helping the team see, like, this shouldn't be scary. Right. Like if, if we are accountable to the residents, we should we should want to hear from them and and then see where this can go. Um, so I think we, we will see more examples. Even, you know, my first budget experience was a huge learning curve because we just had the budget approved last month. Um, but there were several projects in the budget that were a result of some negotiation with legislature, with the governor's office where explicitly written into the budget are small budgets with limited, in fact, in one case, I've got a project that is my team's responsibility that is in the words of the budget, it's a proof of concept. Hmm. Like, I didn't think I'd see POC showing up <laughs> with regards to a tech term. Right. And, and to recognize that the legislature was just as interested in watching us build and iterate right instead of go away come back in three years and tell us who's getting the hundred million dollar contract right right yeah no it's it's fascinating i think it's it's a really good trend um and and recognizing of course as you made clear that you know with government there are different you know there are different limitations and and different things that need to be taken into consideration on some of these projects which does explain some of the the you know more careful pacing, <laughs> I'll say, uh, of some of these projects. But I think it's it's a really good thing and really exciting um, that we've really seen. You know, I, I'd say realistically over the past you know seven or eight years across all different levels of government, this this willingness to to approach technology and innovation projects, you know, with this iteration mindset. So that, that's that's great and and. I'm I'm glad to to know that you're in this role for California as a California resident, uh, and I'm excited to see what what other stuff you come up with and and your team and and you know and the and the state comes out with. So I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm happy. <laughs> uh, it makes my day to hear that, Mike. Thank you. And uh, and so thanks very much for for taking the time to come on the podcast and to to talk about this and and everything that you've done with the digital COVID record. Uh, and for people listening, if you're in California and you haven't yet uh, uh, retrieved your digital record, go check it out. Um, and uh, and and I'm, I'm excited, and hopefully we'll see it roll out further, and and uh, we'll we'll see more of this stuff. So, Rick, again, thanks thanks for taking the time. Mike, it's a pleasure. Thanks for the chance to share the story. All right, and thanks to everyone for listening as well. And we'll be back next week. To grab a shovel and think of the cat. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get. To grab a shovel and think of the cat. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get.